2022 marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's first single. To commemorate this, Warners will be revisiting her back catalogue with selections curated by Madonna herself. For this series of Inside the Groove, I'm joined by industry experts, also Madonna fans, as we work through the singer's albums one by one, episode by episode, to discuss how they were created, what they achieved, and what we can expect from the upcoming re-releases. I'm Breathless, music from and inspired by the film Dick Tracy, was released on 22nd of May 1990 as an addition to the official soundtrack to the movie, directed by Warren Beatty, which starred Madonna as the character Breathless Mahoney. A brave move to create an offshoot album, where much of the music was not a contemporary sound, this was Madonna at her critical and professional height. Greater success and respect would come, but 1990 was Madonna's high point. Selling 7 million copies worldwide as of 2020, this release would reach number 2 in the UK and the US, largely due to the success of the final track on the album, Vogue, and publicity surrounding the Blonde Ambition Tour. The album would include three songs written by the legendary musical composer Stephen Sondheim, with other songs having input from composer Andy Paley, along with her established collaborator Patrick Leonard. Bill Buttrell, who engineered Like a Prayer, would also join Madonna for production duties on the Sondheim tracks, which would be included in the movie itself. The beautiful album artwork would pay homage to the aesthetics of the movie itself, and I've got the lowdown on that, and I'll be paying special attention to the song Hanky Panky, which was the second track released as a single. I also have some of the demo versions of a couple of songs that featured on the album. Joined by music journalist and biographer Lucy O'Brien, fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price, and graphic designer Peter Falou, we're going to give you the whole story behind Madonna's second movie soundtrack, and what is essentially a studio album. Though, is it? Who knows? Who cares? We'll also discuss what we might be able to look forward to in the upcoming reissue of this undeniable classic. So for now, sit back, relax. My bottom hurts just thinking about it, as we go inside the groove. Hi, I'm Edward Russell, the host of Inside the Groove, and I'd just like to remind you, I'm just a guy at home trying to make the best, most professional-sounding podcast for your enjoyment and to spread the word about Madonna's achievements. So, it's free, but if you want to offer a one-off donation or become a patron and get extra content and episodes in advance, it would be really appreciated. So just head over to www.insidethegroove.co.uk and choose the relevant option. Thank you. I'm Breathless is an album of two halves. We have the songs composed for the movie Dick Tracy by Stephen Sondheim and performed on film by Madonna. And then we have a selection of additional songs inspired by Dick Tracy himself, the movie, the era and the genre, which Madonna supplemented and used to create the bulk of I'm Breathless. I have to say that my original intention was to focus more on them 
rather than the Sondheim work. Because I think uh, stuff that Madonna has written is always of particular interest to the listeners of this show. But of course, you'll be aware that on 26 November 2021, the great American songbook writer Stephen Sondheim passed away at the grand old age of 91. A life well-lived and a career of incredible songwriting for the theatre, for movies, and a few crossovers into pop as well. So I'll be putting a bit more focus on those three songs at the end of this episode. I even have some early demo recordings of them to play for you. So that's a real great treat. And it's funny how real-life events change other stuff. My original plan was to record this episode a few weeks ago for patrons, get it out early. But then I got COVID, and don't worry, I'm fully recovered now, but that's completely thrown my scheduling, so I'm trying to catch up. I'm also about to go and work on a short movie, and oh, loads of stuff going on in my life, so I'm sorry that any of you are having to wait. I I really care about your you, (laughs) and I want you to enjoy it. Um, But here we are. This is where we go now. So... Before we get to I'm Breathless, I'm going to say one more thing about the podcast. Um, So last week, I think it was, um, I celebrated 500,000 downloads. Um, That's half a million. Um, In in record status, that would be a gold record. So I'm very, very pleased. Kind of puts this podcast up into the top 1% of podcasts. And as much as I am... Very, very thankful to take uh, any credit for that. I cannot stress enough, it's all about Madonna. People just are obsessed uh, with her as an artist. And yeah, you might look at the Daily Mail and they're moaning about her getting her bum cheeks out or you go on Twitter and people are talking about any work that she might have done on her face. But ultimately, she will always be remembered for her artistic output. Uh, And I was really pleased recently to find out that um, a musical hero of mine, Steve Anderson, who's worked with Kylie for over 30 years and worked on a huge number of theatre projects and all sorts of stuff, he listens to the podcast and and just goes to prove that um, don't underestimate how much people care about Madonna. Which brings me on to a very interesting release in her career, and that is, of course, the I'm Breathless album. Dick Tracy was released to US cinemas on 15th of June 1990, directed by Warren Beatty, of course, and produced by Touchstone Pictures and Silver Screen Partners. Ultimately being a Disney release, the movie had been in development since the early 80s, with a number of directors and actors attached to it. In 1988, the studio greenlit Warren Beatty's involvement as both director and also in the lead role of Dick. With Al Pacino always being Beatty's preferred choice for the movie's villain, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kathleen Turner, Sharon Stone and Kim Basinger were all considered for the role of Breathless Mahoney. And this role eventually would go to Madonna, and rumour has it that she would do this for a reduced fee, as she was keen to pursue her goal of being a comedy musical actress. Madonna's name had been attached to a number of roles at this period, including, of course, the lead in Evita, which she would go on to make and also been championed by Bob Fosse for a role in Chicago. But her screen roles today had received a bit of a patchy welcome. But she had been praised for her Broadway performance in Speed the Plough in 1988 and was particularly drawn to this role, not just because it would allow her to pursue her dreams of being that musical comedy actress, but also, according to her brother's biography, because she had a long-held crush on Warren Beatty. Principal photography on Dick Tracy began on 2nd of February, over a month before Madonna's Like a Prayer was released. Famously, she had been persuaded to cut and dye her long brown hair, which had yet to be revealed in the video and artwork for that album. 
And what we can now ponder is how much of that music would appear on I'm Breathless that had already been recorded and was in the can before the movie was shot. Generally speaking, there are script changes and amendments that happen throughout a, a movie shooting period, but it's almost certain that the three Sondheim songs were written and recorded, perhaps even at the end of 88 or very early 89, before the cameras started turning. There's not much known about these songs that Madonna wrote for the movie, but rumour is that a song called Back in Business was submitted by her and rejected. Another song of that title was instead contributed by Sondheim, along with three compositions for Madonna. Sondheim turned down the offer to score the entire movie, and instead this was done by the equally brilliant Danny Elfman. I'll talk more about those Sondheim songs and their development a bit later. For a lot of fans, I'm Breathless is a bit of an anomaly in Madonna's legacy, and some don't consider it to actually be a studio album, even though it's comprised of entirely new material written either by or for Madonna. But I guess that she's always been known for contemporary pop, and here we see her flirting with ragtime and big band and, and boogie-woogie. Additionally, when Madonna sings, we interpret the singer to be her, not a character. And the songs on I'm Breathless are, of course, as the title suggests, her character speaking. And of course, some people have difficulty with Madonna the singer and Madonna the actor. Just because you love Madonna's songs, you don't necessarily enjoy her movies. I've got Lucy O'Brien here now. Lucy is, as you know, the author of the fantastic biography Like an Icon. Lucy, Dick Tracy, it's an interesting time for Madonna. And of course, as we're here to talk about, the album that accompanied it. Um, yeah, so I'm breathless. I think again, it's this um, this duality. So that you know, I've talked about like right back from when she was in high school, and then there was the shy brunette who was really artistic and dramatic, and then and then the the cheerleader on the football field, and 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 I think you kind of get that um, in the this contrast between like a prayer, and then you go to I'm breathless, where her hair is blonde again and she's playing sort of gangster's mole and um it's very hollywood in, and sparkly and she's singing naughty provocative songs like mm -hmm. thank you and um and i i like that side of her as well you know it's very theatrical in a way though it's not as strong um, it's there in the stage performance and it comes out really well in the stage performance in some of those set pieces. Um, but um, she's not as confident an actress as she is a dancer and a singer, apart from the film Desperately Seeking Susan. And I think, you know, in the film Dick Tracy, um, she comes across really, her character's really strong. Acting... To be a good actor, it's a craft, isn't it? Like any other, you you have to dedicate time and years of study. In the same way, you know, to be a great dancer, she studied for years, and she did. She was, you know, worked with Pearl Lang in in New York, and inspired by Martha Graham, and you know, and I actually think that that's that's the reason is that she hasn't actually studied acting, and it, ha it hasn't been her life in the way that the great actors are. I think it's quite rare for someone to just be a great actor just like that. Yeah, it's very rare. And and I think there, there are very, very few, hardly any examples of somebody who is a great dancer, a great singer, a great songwriter and a great actor. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anyone that can do all of those four brilliantly. I mean, even Lady Gaga is good at some of those, but not yes. all of them. 
Yeah. So maybe we put too much expectation on Madonna really to be incredible. Yeah. Madonna recorded the majority of the I'm Breathless album in the second half of 1989. Certainly the only picture from the studio shows her with Patrick Leonard's daughter Jessie and she has the cropped hair that features in the Cherish video, meaning that this is sometime after August. Aside from the Sondheim tracks and, of course, Vogue, the album was co-produced with Patrick Leonard. But, of course, another name that appears on the album is Andy Paley, who was also a composer of the other music in the movie. One of those tracks is I'm Going Bananas, and I did wonder if it was written for the film, but as it was produced by Patrick, maybe not. The other, of course, is Now I'm Following You, which is a duet between Madonna and Warren Beatty. According to Andy, the studio had been booked for several hours, but BT arrived, was very friendly with everybody, played a bit of piano. Then him and Madonna recorded the duet in just 15 minutes. That was it. One take. One take wonder once again. Madonna's backup singer Nicky Harris also has fond memories of Warren coming into studio saying he was very friendly and very warm. Indeed, their courtship lasted for about 15 months in total. Some people think it was just a publicity stunt, but I don't think so. Patrick Leonard says that the album came quickly, faster than normal, one a day, but this time Madonna had a script, a story she had to tell. This time she was a character. He'd come up with some melodies, some chords, some styles, and she would put her lyrics to them, including, of course, Hanky Banky. The song is about sadomasochistic sex, or at the very least, a little bit of slap and tickle. Patrick Leonard said, I remember writing the music, and probably the first thing she sang was that. Right away, there it was, and not one to shy away from anything, it was on the list. I think it's get blown up much bigger when they're in the studio and when we leave. When we experience them, it's just something to laugh about. The song's lyrics came from a line by Breathless in the film where she says, You don't know whether to hit me or kiss me. And indeed, in a 1990 interview with Carrie Fisher, Madonna said that she thinks the character is somebody who likes to get smacked around. Madonna revealed that she'd had to change some of the lyrics on I'm Breathless. Anything to do with sodomy, intercourse or masturbation. All to appease Disney. But she did manage to slip in, so to speak, a couple of double entendres. For example, in the opening song, He's a Man, she says, Cause I can show you some fun, and I don't mean with a gun. And of course, in Now I'm Following You Part 2, she gets to repeat the word dick multiple times and make it the main phrase of the chorus. I have a problem with the fact that there's no air in here and I'm gonna die. Open the door now. Over the years, Madonna has given us, possibly not intentionally, some of her finest quotes. Give me a fan. There's one, and we also know that she absolutely loathes hydrangeas. And of course, the best. It feels uh, reductive. Now, with Christmas just around the corner, and no doubt a Madonna fan in your list, Inside the Groove is proud to present its latest piece of merchandise, a high tea set emblazoned with Madonna's most quotable phrases. Honestly, it's brilliant. Designed by Peter Falloon, who you're going to hear from shortly, it's joined by a Inside the Groove desk calendar, which features fonts, colours and shapes that any Madonna fan will find recognisable. 
There's also a gift card and many discounts and offers available right now. Just head over to the website www.insidethegroove.co.uk. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Coming up, I'm going to be talking about the promotion of I'm Breathless and the inclusion of songs on Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour. But now it's time for me to check in with fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price and graphic designer Peter Falloon to talk about the cover artwork for I'm Breathless, something which personally I think is one probably one of Madonna's weakest offerings. And I really love the album. Jonathan, hello. What do you think? Does it fail? This is very yep. much a soundtrack artwork rather than Madonna as herself. I feel like you can see that as soon as you look at the cover. So this is shot by Patrick de Marchelier, who's a huge fashion photographer at this time, and he has worked with Madonna before. It makes me wonder if she had much of an input into selecting the him as the photographer for this campaign. Of course, he's working with a big studio, so there's many people to go through, but we know the power of Madonna, and so I'm sure she could have had a hand in it. It's very graphic, which makes sense with the fact that this is such a stylized film with this 1930s comic strip aesthetic. And we see Madonna as Breathless Mahoney, as the character in the movie. She's got this corkscrew, blonde curls, and what it does effectively is sell the movie and telling a story. So her with her co-star Juan Beatty in a vintage car shot with probably a beauty dish or something. You know, it's, it's very clear, striking graphic visual lighting and the contrast between the black, yellow and, and, and red of his tie and her lips are really what draws you in. I, you know, Madonna here is, is presenting new eyebrows. Yeah. Previously we had seen her with the, with the very eighties fuller brow and, and here she is with her more nineties style pencil brow and and it feels very opulent, you know, this is the, it's meant to be 30s, but you know, you feel a bit of Gatsby style, American, uh, you know, gangster luxury. And, and that comes off well in the styling and the visuals as well in the back cover. So she's in her studio again, but this time to the side of the car on the back image, wearing, uh, you know, a gown, which again, doesn't say Madonna to me. This is her as a movie star rather than as a recording artist. I'm personally not drawn to this aesthetic. I loved it in Express Yourself video, but the Express Yourself she was able to take in a Madonna direction. This to me is definitely the film and it's not my, my sort of genre of film. So, so I don't personally connect to it on an emotional level, but you know, I think it's effective. And I think it probably is the graphics, which really scream the time period, which of course, Peter, I'm sure you've got a lot to say about. Yeah, it's, I didn't really particularly like that. I was quite shocked by this album. I mean, I knew it was coming. I don't want to say it's a bit of a mess because I really love it, uh, especially now. But there's a lot going on. You've also musically got so much going on as well. And I, I just remember seeing it in the shop and being quite shocked by that totem pole look of her name. Mm. I can't quite place it, you know, the, the chronology of it. But Peter, I'm sure you have a better idea of what it's based on. There was a weird thing at the eight, sort of end of the eighties. Um, there's, I oh, don't know if Metropolis had a lot to do with it, but there was a lot of graphic design that sort of reflected back on, I would say like the thirties, it, it, the name of it was like Industria and there were a lot of fonts mm. and things that came out of it that had this very, you know, if you go and look at like quite a lot of 1920s and thirties graphic design, it's way more modern than you think it should be. There was still like incredibly old fashioned printing presses, but the actual design was very like triangular and graphic and sharp. 
And there was this weird renaissance of that type of look and feel at the end of the 80s. And it was in architecture and graphic design. And the red and yellow was, again, quite a popular color palette. So I think in terms of it being a great piece of late 80s, early 90s design, it sort of fits perfectly with the mood of the film as well. I don't think any of it was intentional. It's just this happy accident. But again, it's the, the same lady who created it who's worked with her an awful lot. She would have done this sort of on brief from the film studio or from Madonna, I would imagine. Mm. Um, so she's, she's created this totem pole effect. But I think it's the only place that you could have put the logo and the, the wording. So mm -hmm. like, again, you've got this arresting image and it needed that something up the side to like bring it all together. I think in terms of like the way it's been put together, it's really sharp and crisp, but it, again, it's just hinting at the fact that it's a soundtrack, but it's not a soundtrack. So it feels like she's given the overtones that it could be a film, but then it's not, it's still mm -hmm. a Madonna album. So I think in terms of like the graphic design that she did, it really, really works. And it does, I think it pulls the whole thing together. I think the palette that she's used and the choice of fonts, again, it, it's still got that really classic 20s, 30s feel deliberately lifted from the era. And she stuck to Warren Beatty's rule of thumb, which he created that there can only be five colors in the film and there's mm. only five colors in the artwork. So I think in terms of interpreting what the intention was, it's a really, really nice artwork but i've never really loved the images i feel as if they are the, the sad gray background is so yes <laughs> it's it, it's not a cityscape it's not a, it, even like a, a backlight would have just lifted something it, i've always found the graphic design more imposing the actual photography and the front image i find her schlumpy she hasn't got mm. poise she's not elegant it in the film they have an incredible sexual tension but this doesn't translate in this photo at all which i think is a real shame it feels more like he's telling her off it doesn't have that sexuality that i think was on fire in the film which it, it's it's a fashion shoot like you say it's more of like a, a character i just don't think it conveys the actual like I mean, the title of the album, I'm Breathless, it's so ballsy. It's so mm. Madonna, it's a pun, it's clever. It's an introduction to who she is. And then she's just sort of sat demurely. It's like, no, you're, I'm Breathless, come on. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love it for its color and its connection to the eras that we're speaking of. But yeah, it's a confusing album. So why not have a confusing album cover? I do agree with you about the studio feeling because on the back image in particular, you can really see this is some basement in a, in a Hollywood studio. This isn't an elaborate setup. And I mean, it's probably taken on set as a sort of additional day's work of, uh, alongside the shooting. And what you've really hit the nail on the head is these two people were A, huge stars, but B, huge personalities, you know, and you really don't get that coming through in the photography. I think my personal distance from it that what I don't connect with is simply because I don't really love that aesthetic of the kind of pastiche of this that's the film it is a comic strip film but it's just not my personal taste and it kind of reminded me when I discovered it after the fact even though I was alive then but I was too young of who framed Roger Rabbit 
or something like that. And I guess it also now it reminds me a little bit in a way of the Paula Abdul opposites attract with a cartoon cat in the video. You know, it's sort of, I guess the late 80s had this almost comical element to some pop and, and, and film. And yeah, it just doesn't gel for me. I think the thing that she knew and always had in the back of her head was what Prince had done with Batman. Mm. So it, she knew going into this, that this was her chance to have that connection. I, I mean, it's a, it's a great role and she's really, she is phenomenal. She just plays a slightly more grown up Susan really, but mm. it's, mm. it's more Madonna than an, an acting performance. But I think she knew that she had that leverage of like soundtrack, visual and incredible single to come. So it, I, I love the way that with Batman, they create this entire world. And I think she tried her hardest to do that for Warren Beatty. I'm not sure he quite grasped it. Whereas mm. I think her side of it, she nailed and did incredible marketing with it. But yeah, I don't think Warren Beatty fully understood what Batman had done and wasn't able to capture that sort of essence. He's, he's old Hollywood, so he was never going to like translate easily to it being on a lunchbox or sold in McDonald's. So I think she fulfilled her brief of giving it that oh, 1990s marketeer. Mm. And I, I think as a package. The other thing that amazes me is like, it's one of three soundtrack albums. So hers is yeah. the official one, there's an official one, and then there's a score. So it, 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 it's quite diluted, but I think hers is the one that sits so well next to the film. It, As a side note to that, you know, this film is lit beautifully. They do color very well. And so I think that is an additional disappointment of the album artwork in yeah. that you have three small stills featured on the back of this. And that's lit more interestingly than the artwork itself. Yeah. When she's lit beautifully in that film, uh, when she's sipping out a martini glass, like, ah, oh, just amazing. Mm. They don't capture that in the, the studio shoot, unfortunately. I think what's interesting is how Vogue was such an important promotion for this album, for obvious reasons. But I think the release also sort of suffers slightly from that because I think a lot of people came to this effectively new Madonna album expecting more Vogue and I may have been disappointed. Guys, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I'd like to, you to come back and we can talk about your thoughts on the music and, of course, um, on the artwork of, of the Vogue single, etc. Um, to include our, our, on a special episode for patrons uh, to give a thank you to them. But um, I'd like to now turn to the promotion of I'm Breathless and, of course, the biggest part of that was the Blonde Ambition Tour. Principal photography on Dick Tracy lasted from February 1989 to May of that year, which explains why Madonna didn't really embark upon a promo campaign for the Like a Prayer album. In fact, her first duty on the movie's rap was to shoot the iconic video for Express Yourself, still with the breathless Mahoney blonde bob. As an aside, yes, this probably does mean, as Jonathan just alluded to, that the cover of I'm Breathless was shot either before the Like a Prayer album was released or, you know, very soon afterwards. Doesn't that blow your mind? So the Like a Prayer tour was cancelled, as you're probably aware, because Pepsi, who was sponsoring it, withdrew their support on account of their unhappiness with some of the imagery in the Like a Prayer video. So Madonna found herself with a bit more time than she had expected, which possibly explains her desire to record additional music, effectively giving us the I'm Breathless album. 
Now, we know that costume fittings for the upcoming 1990 World Tour were well and truly under the way by December, which would suggest that the song selection and quite possibly the choreography were nailed down by this point. So, therefore, we can assume that all the I'm Breathless songs, including Vogue, were in the can by the very end of 1989. We don't know when Madonna decided to call the tour Blonde Ambition. Certainly the photography for the tour book and poster, etc., that was taken in December 1990 by Herb Ritz featured her with the brown bob. Those pictures would, of course, end up on the Immaculate Collection album a year later. And the tour guide would ultimately use a still from the Express Yourself video, a bit like the Vogue single would. But she clearly saw it as an opportunity to promote both the movie, for which she had huge hopes, and the record which she had been inspired to write for it. It's easy to assume that this is more of a greatest hits tour when you consider how many classic songs are included. But watching it today, the Dick Tracy segment in which she performs sooner or later, Hanky Panky and Now I'm Following You, feels so integral to the show, complete with the multiple dancers in Dick Tracy outfits. It's very clear that this was Madonna doing her best to marry art with marketing, ensuring promotion for her other projects whilst entertaining an audience who'd already parted with her cash to be there. I mean, that's a genius move. <laughs> Speaking to Newsweek in 1990, Madonna said, Disney didn't come to me and ask me to help market the movie. Let's just say I'm killing 12 birds with one stone. It's a two-way street. I'm not going to overlook the fact that it's a great opportunity for me too. Most people don't associate me with movies, but I know I have a much bigger following than Warren does, and a lot of my audience isn't aware of who he is. Blonde Ambition was well underway across the US when the I'm Breathless album hit the shelves in the third week of May, with the single Hanky Panky coming a month later, just as Madonna wrapped up her North American dates. Weirdly, I seem to remember hearing Hanky Panky before the album and being quite shocked to how this was the follow-up to the bombastic house track Vogue. It was fun and suggestive, but it was not very 1990. But my mental timeline may be playing tricks, or maybe the song went to radio really early, I don't know. But we did get a video, which was the version of the performance which took place on the 27th of April in Yokohama, Japan. A third single, Now I'm Following You, was planned but ultimately not released. Possibly chosen as its second part lended itself to a new jack swing beat, currently very popular in the US airwaves. It's possible that the decision by Madonna to record new material for an upcoming Greatest Hits signaled that she was done with this campaign. Several mixes were commissioned, however, and were released to radio and DJs, including this version, the Tiny Little Circles Mix. Listening to it today, it's clear to see that this release probably would have been more of a novelty. And considering Madonna was about to go with her career, pulling it was a good idea. A far more sensible release might have been sooner or later. The song which would bring Madonna and its writer, Stephen Sondheim, great respect. Born on 22nd of March 1930, almost 60 years to the day before Madonna released Vogue, Stephen Sondheim was an American composer and lyricist, probably most famous for writing the lyrics to West Side Story, but with Follies, Sweeney Todd and also Into the Woods, he remains one of the most respected composers and lyricists of the modern age. He's won countless Tonys and, of course, sooner or later won him the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1991. 
He composed five songs for Dick Tracy. Warren Beatty stipulated that the songs and the music sound as if they come from before the start of the Second World War. According to Madonna's brother Christopher Ciccone, she shunned the idea of working with a vocal coach, but she reportedly worked directly with Sondheim to perfect her performance of these songs. She said in press interviews at the time that it's important to make the song your own when you haven't written it, but found these particular songs, which had no repeating passages and a complex rhythm and set of melodies, particularly tough. The song started as a writer's demo. Here's Sondheim singing it and playing the piano. Next, he worked with Madonna to find the right performance. An early demo, which leaked on vinyl, and I remember picking this up at a record fair in Bristol in late 1990, hears her perform with the sort of baby doll voice that she used in some of her more theatrical performances in the 1980s. Sooner or later you're gonna be For the showstopper more, oh, brilliant lyrics, and one of Sondheim's absolute highlights, Madonna had to show Breathless rehearsing the song and dance routine badly, something which she found really hard, especially when having to rehearse it for camera hundred or more times. The versions heard on I'm Breathless vary from some of the performances in the film and, unlike the majority of the album, were produced by Bill Bottrell, who was the sound engineer on Like a Prayer and was also responsible for a number of remixes of the title track. Now, here's a non-Madonna fact about Bill Bottrell, and that is he is the person performing the rap in Michael Jackson's Black or White. He was producer of that track and put down the rap as a sort of placeholder, but in the end, Michael loved it and wanted to keep it in. In a TV interview, which I only recently saw, Sondheim spoke about the recording process and it wasn't clear what his true feelings were towards Madonna. Asked what she was really like, the audience immediately start laughing. And it's important to remember that back then, people credited Madonna with fewer musical skills than they do now. So playing up to the audience and their laughter, he recalls a story from the studio about how they recorded her vocal on the solo songs. Instead of singing from the booth, Madonna insisted on being in the control room, something that we already know from the erotica episode. And she sang directly into a handheld mic, which Sondheim described as acting like an umbilical cord straight through to the engineer. Because of this, he couldn't make a noise and was afraid to even scribble notes on a pen and paper in case they might be picked up. He recounted how he attempted to make mental notes. This needs to be a D flat, that needs to be C, better timing here, etc. Now, as he's telling the story, the audience is laughing more and more. And it becomes clear that they think... He's recounting how she can't perform properly. And he's kind of getting this and playing up to it. He then says how Madonna did only two takes and that was it. He said that Barbara Streisand would do hundreds of takes and that they would select the best bits, but Madonna, out of impatience, he says, would never give more than two. And this is really weird because we normally consider a one-slash-two-take person as a genius and anyone who has to sing a hundred times for the vocal to be then compiled from that as not a great singer. 
It's not clear what the angle was here, but it's almost like a backhanded insult. When Sondheim passed away, Madonna didn't make a comment on her social media channels, so maybe there was no love lost between them. However, her performance of Sooner or Later at the Oscars in 1991 will definitely go down as career highlight. So what can we expect for the re-release? Well, demos, of course, if they exist, perhaps in better quality than what has already leaked. Then there's the unreleased remixes of Now I'm Following You, plus versions of the songs with lyrics that Madonna was forced to alter by Disney, perhaps. And let's not forget Vogue. Its inclusion on I'm Breathless might be somewhat tacked on, but it is the parent album, and we can only dream about what may be lurking in the vaults. A demo? perhaps a studio quality version of the unreleased on the fly mix by Shep who knows we've now entered the most prolific and interesting point of Madonna's career and of course 1990 saw not just a tour not just a career defining single a movie and a soundtrack album but also the record that will be the subject of our next episode on Inside the Groove The Immaculate Collection (laughs) 